You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Has anybody seen the movie uh, Inside Out? Make some noise. Some of you? Yeah? It's good. I love that movie. It's great. And, uh, you know, as a parent, I cried when I watched it. I'm not ashamed to admit it. How many parents cried when you saw Inside Out? Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's nothing like seeing a grown man cry while he's watching a cartoon. Um, it's pathetic. Uh, but, but I love it. I love it. And, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. And I don't care because you should have seen it by now. It's your fault you hadn't seen it. But um, the, the movie's premise is this, is that we have these little people living inside of us, and they control our emotions. And so the movie centers around the main character, Riley, who has these little people who are her emotions. So there's, there's joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, or as my three-year-old daughter calls her, sadness, um, who lives inside of her, and they control her emotions. And, and ultimately, her emotions determine her reality. And so there's something going on behind the scenes that's causing her to experience her reality. And throughout this series, Everything is Spiritual, we've discovered that we all have this spiritual operating system that's humming behind the scenes of our lives. And everything that we experience in our life, all the symptoms in our life, come from a spiritual source. And we found that everything is spiritual. And, and what I want to share with you today is that because everything is spiritual, it also means that our relationships are spiritual. And I believe that if we understand that there's a source behind everything that's spiritual, then the problems, the dysfunction that we face in our relationships, we can fix it if we could just address the spiritual source. You know, I, I really believe that, that life would be so much easier if it weren't for people, right? Like, like life would be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with people because people get on your nerves, Right? People frustrate you. People cut you off in traffic. People take forever in line. You've been to McDonald's so many times, you know what's on the menu, just order it. It's not a problem for me. I don't go to McDonald's, but Starbucks though. Starbucks, right? But, but people get on our nerves. They stand in our way. They take too long. They, they hold values that we don't really understand. And life would be so much easier if it weren't for people. But it would also be pointless. Because it, it's people... Who, who help us get where we are. It's people who share insight into our lives that we might not have ever seen. It's people who encourage us and motivate us to keep going. See, life would be so much easier if it weren't for people, but it would also be pointless because it, it's people who make us sad, but it's people who make us laugh until we cry. It's people who stab us in the back, but it's people who have our back. It's people who let us down, and it's people who hold us up. It's people who we say, I don't ever want to see that person again in my life. But it's people who we say, I never want to live without you. It's people who, who hurt us deeply, but it's people who give us great joy. And sometimes those people are the same person. See, life would be so much easier if it weren't for people, but it would also be pointless. And the truth is, everything is spiritual, and so our relationships are spiritual. And as we live in this life, um, we can't 
avoid interacting with people. I'm, uh, you can. Like if you adopt the lifestyle of a hermit and you live in the mountains of West Virginia, then you don't have to deal with people. But for the most part, each and every one of us are going to have to interact with people and have relationships. And so I want to show you how to have healthy relationships today. I want to show you three things. Uh, first, I want to show you the origin of relationships. And I want you to see that the source of every dysfunction we experience in our relationships is spiritual. And then I want to give you the prescription to the antidote that if we live this out, then we'll have healthy, stronger, better relationships. And then finally, I want to show you what God did to rectify a relationship that went rogue. So if you have a Bible, uh, would you open up to Genesis chapter 2? And we're going to start reading in verse 20. It's Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 20. I want to show you the origin of relationships and how it all starts off. Now, uh, before we do this, uh, b before we read this, there's something that takes place. What's happened so far up to Genesis 2.20 is this. God has created Adam, the first man. He makes him, he forms him from the dust of the ground, and he breathes the nishmat chayim into him, the breath of life. So you are an exotic cocktail of dust and soul, flesh and spirit. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to the sermon from last week on our podcast. But God creates Adam out of the dust, and he breathes his breath into his lungs. And then God gives Adam a task. He says, Adam, I want you to name all the animals in the world. And so God parades all the animals in front of Adam, and he starts naming them. Buffalo, swan, yak, geese, spawn of Satan, also known as cats, right? <laughs> so Adam names all the animals in the world, and he finds that he's utterly alone, that, that there's no match for him. And this is where Genesis 2.20 part B picks up. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, hey, what's up, girl? What's your name? And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and, e Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Pastor, that was inappropriate. That's why we got a great kids ministry. You should check your kids into if you haven't already. Just saying. But it said that the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Now, this isn't just a commentary on the truth that they were physically naked in front of one another, but this is commentary that the reason why they could stand in front of one another naked and feel no shame is because they knew who they were. They knew their identity. They were okay with who they were inside, and they were, they were intimate with one another on an emotional level. They, they, they were fine with who they were inside, and so they could stand in front, another, in front of one another naked and feel no shame. Brene Brown says that vulnerability is having the courage to show up and be seen. They had the courage to show up because they knew who they were. They were secure in who they were. They were confident in who they were, and so they could stand naked in front of one another and feel no shame. And this is how God designed relationships. God designed relationships so that we could have a strong identity of who we are. We would be confident. We would know what's inside of us and not feel ashamed so that we could stand in front of one another naked 
and unashamed. Okay, stop thinking about that. Like, don't just get that out of your head now. But, but, but this is how it was designed for us to be confident in who we are so that we could be naked and feel no shame. Now, things aren't like that. I, that might be good. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for stores like H&M and Express so that we can cover our nakedness and look stylish while doing it. But things changed. This is how God created Adam and Eve, so they could be naked and feel no shame. But things changed, and here's what happened. Genesis 3 took place. And what happens in Genesis 3 is sin enters the world. See, God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden to, to work it and take care of it. But he planted one tree in that garden, and he said, don't eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat from the tree. If you eat fruit from the tree, just, just, just don't. Now, uh, some people, when they think about that, they think, that seems pretty petty, right? I mean, like, God, wh why do you care so much about the fruit? But it's not about the fruit. God puts the tree in the garden, and he says, don't eat from the tree, because he wants to give Adam and Eve a choice. And the choice he's giving them is this. Will you trust me or not? I've told you not to eat from the tree. Will you trust what I've said, or will you rebel against what I've said? Will you follow my way, or will you follow your way? Will you do what I've said to do, or will you do what you want to do? Some people say, well, that's so silly. If I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten from the fruit. Yeah, you would have. Because each and every day, you and I have to make the same choice. Will we eat the fruit or not? Each and every day, each and every one of us has to make that choice. God, will I follow you or will I not? Will I go your way or my way? Will I choose to trust that you have what's best for me in mind? Or am I going to do my own thing? Each and every day, we have to make that decision. What will we do? Will we eat the fruit or not? And Adam and Eve decide to eat the fruit. They decide that their way is better than God's way. And, and, and what, what really intrigues me about this whole thing is when they're tempted by, by the serpent to eat from the fruit, um, it's like God, God is holding back from you. God... God doesn't want you to become like him because he knows if you eat the fruit, you'll become like him. But here's the thing. God already made them like him. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. They were already made in the image of God and they're tempted to rebel against God to get something they already have. When we sin, when we go our own way, what we do is, is we, we seek out something thinking we don't have it, but God has already given it to you. Hey, hey girl, I love you. I know we're not married, but I love you. Let's share our love together so that I can feel love and know love. You've already been given love by God. You don't have to rebel against him and go your own way so that you can get love because you already have love. I mean, just think about the examples. Oftentimes, we rebel against God. We do what he's called us not to do so that we can get something we already have. <laughs> and this is what Adam and Eve do. They, they eat from the fruit. And here's, here's what takes place uh, as they eat from it. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Did you see the difference between Genesis 2.25? It said Adam and his wife were both naked, 
and they felt no shame. And then Genesis 3, 7, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is what sin does. Sin distorts everything that's good. Sin takes what's good and it makes it bad. The very people who are given to one another as gifts to one another are now detriments to one another. They realize that they're naked and they're ashamed. See, at first they were naked and they felt no shame, but now they're naked. They realize when sin enters and they feel ashamed and they cover up. Why? Because sin distorts everything. And the reason why they covered up is, is not just because that they saw that they were naked physically, but because they saw that they were naked inside. They looked in themselves and they realized, wait, there are some things that I don't like in me. There are some things that I'm not okay with. There are some things that I don't know if I can love about myself. And if I can't love myself, if I don't know my identity, if I'm not confident in who I am, then what about you? If I don't like what I see, what do you think about me? I don't know if I can be vulnerable. I don't know if I can have the courage to show up and be seen. And so because of that, they cover up. They're ashamed, not just of what's on the outside, but they're ashamed of what's on the inside, which leads to what shows itself on the outside. See, when sin enters the picture, sin distorts everything. It distorts how we view ourselves. It distorts our own identity. It distorts our own self-confidence. But that plays itself in our relationships. It shows itself in our relationships, and it distorts how we interact with one another. Here's, here's what takes place with Adam and Eve. Uh, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Where are you? Now, God knows where Adam is, right? I mean, this is like when I play hide-and-seek with my three-year-old daughter, and she goes on the couch, and she has a blanket over her, and I know she's there, but I'm like, where are you? Because <laughs> I can see her. I mean, I can hear her giggling. I know where she is. God knows where Adam is, but he wants to see, and he's not playing hide-and-seek. He wants to see, Adam, will you own up to what you've done? Will you come out from hiding? Will you stop running from me? and face me. Some of you are here today and you've been running from God. You've been hiding from God. And I want to let you know that you don't find God, but God finds you. Notice that God is looking for Adam and he knows where he is. You've been running and you've been hiding because you're ashamed of what's going on in your life. You're ashamed of your past. You feel like God could never love you and you've been hiding from him. But God has brought you here today to let you know that you are not too far gone, that you are not um, outside of his grace, that he, that he can reach you. He has brought you here today to let you know that you are loved. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide any longer. God says, where are you? Where are you? I know where you are, but will you come out? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I heard you coming, God, but I ran and I hid because I knew what was wrong with me. I, I knew that I didn't like what I saw in me, and so I just assumed there's no way you wouldn't like me. I just assumed that there was no way that you could ever love me. I just assumed that your grace couldn't cover me. And so I hid and I ran away from you, God. And God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Who told you there was something wrong with you? 
Who told you you couldn't be loved by me? Who told you that my grace couldn't cover even you? Who told you you were too far gone? Who told you that? I'm not, I'm not intimidated by your nakedness. I created you naked, boy. I made you that way. I can handle your nakedness. God can handle your sin. God can handle your shame. God can handle your guilt. It's not too much for him. He knows it. He expected more failure from you than you expect from yourself, and he still loves you. Who told you that? Last week, I was talking with this woman who she got baptized. She was telling me her story and um, how she grew up and the pain that she felt and the, the hurt that she felt and really how this had um, translated into her identity and how she saw herself. Um, and after a while, I just asked her, I said, I said, do you know what's wrong with you? And she started telling me what was wrong with her. I said, no, no, hold on. Yeah, I, I think you missed it. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. Nothing. Nothing is wrong with you. Because you're giving your life to Christ, and when God sees you, you've been covered with Christ, and he's made you whole. He's redeemed you. He's restored you. And when he sees you, he doesn't see anything wrong with you, but he sees that you've been restored by the blood of his son. Nothing is wrong with you. you got to change your identity. you got to shift how you live. Nothing is wrong with you. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Like God knows that Adam ate from the tree he told him not to eat from. That's like, again, with my daughter. She, she colors on our white table with a marker. Like, Amaya, did you do this? Because I know I didn't do it. I know mommy didn't do it. I know our dog didn't do it. I already know she did it, but I'm just wondering, are you going to fess up to it? Are you going to confess? Are you going to say, here's what I did. Here's who I am. Here's where I've been. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And, 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 and let me clear this up too. Sometimes people think, well, God has all these rules and regulations and prohibitions and, and he does it to limit our fun and, 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 and to try and limit our freedom. God doesn't do that to limit our fun or limit our freedom. God tells them not to eat from the tree because he knows that they won't like the outcome. God gives them limitations and prohibitions because he cares for them, because he wants what's best for them. God calls you to a different life to follow him, to make him the leader of your life because he knows what's best for you. And he knows that if you go your own way, you won't like the outcome. If, if we were an old school church, we could have testimony time where people come up and they share their testimonies about all the times that they've gone their own way and they realize this isn't what I wanted. This is not the outcome I desired. God said, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? See, there was a reason I told you not to eat from it. Because I knew what was going to happen. I knew you wouldn't like the outcome. Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, see, what happened was um, the woman. The woman. It's her fault, God. I was minding my own business, hanging out naked in the garden. Get that out of your head. And the woman, the woman you put here with me, the woman that you put here with me, God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. She made me do it. And now that I think about it and I connect the dots, you put her here with me. So this really is your fault, God. 
I never would have done this. I never would have rebelled against you if it weren't for you. Adam blames his dysfunction on God. I know we would never do that, but Adam does. He blames his dysfunction on God. God, it's your fault. I did this. It's your fault. I'm in this predicament. I wonder how many times we blame God for the stupid stuff we do. And God's standing back like, hold on now. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with that. That was all you. Adam said, well, the woman you put here with me, she made me do it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me. The devil made me do it. <laughs> it wasn't me, God. He made me. What happens is they pass the blame. It's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm so jacked up. It's not my fault I messed up. It's not my fault. It's, it's somebody else. It's, it's somebody else. Listen, every dysfunction that we face in relationships starts with us. It starts with a spiritual source. There's something going on inside of us. And if we're going to fix that, then we have to name it. We have to claim it. And then we have to change it. Well, that's just how I am. Well, you suck. For real. I'm just a jerk to everybody. That's just how I am. Well, you got to fix that. No, that's not who you are. That's not how you are. You got to name it, claim it, and change it. The guy who's a jerk to everybody at your company, it's not your fault. It's his fault. It's him. You ever gone out with somebody and they broke up with you? And, and they gave you this excuse, and it's a frustrating excuse, but they say this, listen, listen, it's not you, it's me, right? It's, somebody, somebody either used that excuse or had it used on them. It's not you, it's me. And that's frustrating, because don't you want to respond by saying, listen, I don't know what's wrong with you, but can you fix you? Because I still want to be with you, right? Can, can you just fix whatever's wrong with you? Because I still want to be with you. So it, it's not you, it's me. We got to name it, claim it. And change it. The guy who's a jerk at your work, is something wrong with him. He doesn't like something about his own life. That's why he's a jerk to everybody else. You just got to see that. Listen, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's that person. If, if, if you feel this way about yourself, if you're constantly judging yourself and you feel like you're not good enough, then, then you may project that onto other people. And then you start to feel insecure because you think that they're judging you. And you say things like this, well, I don't have any friends. Nobody ever reaches out to me. No, 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 nobody wants to be my friends. Listen, it's not you, it's me. It's not everybody else, it's you. You got to fix that. You got to name it, change it. You got to name it, claim it, and change it. If you hate your own life, then you'll find pleasure in tearing other people down through gossip. It's not you, it's me. You got something going on in your life that you don't like. You got to name it, change it, and claim it. You can't blame everybody else. If you feel that you're unworthy of love, then you'll settle for substandard relationships built on sex because you feel like that's the only way you can feel love and get love when really what it is is you're being used or you're seeking conquest. It's not you, it's me. It's not all those other people. There's something going on. You got to name it. You got to be real with yourself. You got to claim it and then you got to change it. You ever done something? You hurt somebody or whatever, and then you apologize to them, and here's how your apology sounded. Um, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that. I don't know what got into me, but that was not me. That is not who I am. Like, I just want to respond and say, well, well, when I saw you doing it, it sure looked like you. 
<laughs> it sure seemed like that was you who was doing it. You got to name it, claim it, and change it. We can't keep running. We can't keep hiding, trying to cover our nakedness. We have to say, God, here I am, faults, flaws, and failures. Now, will you fix me? Will you redeem me? Will you restore me? And will you make me whole? You got to name it, claim it, and change it. See, the problem that we have in all of our relationships stems from a spiritual source. But thankfully, there's a prescription of an antidote. There's something that we can do to fix it. First, we got to look at ourselves. Everything wrong in our relationships begins with us. We got to name it, change it, or name it, claim it, and change it. But then, but then second is this. We just follow this prescription that's laid out for us in the scriptures. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12, and we'll start reading in verse, verse 9. Here's the prescription, the antidote that's given to us if we're going to have healthier, stronger relationships. Romans chapter 12 uh, starting in verse 9. We'll have the words for it on the screen as well. Uh, here, here's what the author writes. If we're going to have healthier, better relationships, he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And so the first thing is you've got to love. You've got to love yourself and you've got to love others. Love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now this word honor means to show value, so to treat people as value, uh, as valuable. Um, if you're having difficult in your marriage, I guarantee you, if you do this one thing, honor one another above yourselves, you treat each other as though you're the most valuable people in the world, your marriage will go from a two to a 10 in three months. Nobody's writing that down. Listen, I just saved you thousands of dollars in marriage counseling right here. <laughs> honor one another above yourselves. We got marriage, are you doing this? No, okay. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Like if you really want to get revenge, do good to people. Love your enemy, and that's how you get revenge. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what this passage just said. If you want to have healthy relationships, better relationships, stronger relationships, then you should love, honor, have zeal or passion, serve, be joyful, patient, faithful, generous, hospitable, wish others good, em empathize, have peace, be humble, modest, forgive, and do right by others. Now, do you think if you did all those things in your relationships, you'd have better, healthier, stronger relationships? Of course you would. Of course you would. If we did this, and, and this has been here for 2,000 years, the prescription is right there. If you did this, you'd have better, healthier, stronger relationships. But here's what we say, well, Pastor, I can't do all that. 
It's a long list. I mean, love, honor, have passions. I can't even think of it all. And you want me to live? I can't do that. That's too much. But the truth is, you can do it. You can do it. If you're a Christian, you can do it. You can live this way if you're a Christian. You know how I know? Because of what it says in Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been cru have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you've come to a point where you said, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, I want to make him the leader of my life and follow him, and you've been immersed into him. What the scriptures teach us is that God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that created the universe, the same Spirit lives inside of you. And call me crazy, but I just believe that if God has the power to speak light into existence, that spirit, he probably has the power to help you love your annoying coworker. I don't know. If God has the power to resurrect the dead, he might have the power to help you stop gossiping. Just saying. I don't know. But I know that you can do it because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so what from the list in Romans do you say, well, I don't know if I could do that. Be devoted to one another in love. Yes, you can because the Holy Spirit brought love into your life when he came to live inside of you. Be joyful in hope. That's so tough. I don't know. You got joy inside of you. He brought it. He gave it to you. Live at peace with everyone. That's tough. I know it is tough, but God's spirit brought peace into your life. Be patient in affliction. Pastor, if you just knew, I hate traffic. I got road rage. I don't like it. And them lines at Walmart where they got four lines open and there's a thousand people. I am not patient. I don't have it. Yes, you do. Because God's Spirit brought patience in you when he came to live inside of you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Sounds like kindness to me. And you got it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You got goodness inside of you. Faithful in prayer. He brought faithfulness. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. That sounds like a gentle person to me. He brought gentleness. And anything else in that prescription of the antidote for healthy, stronger relationships, if you're like, there's no way that I could do it, I'll just let you know that God's Spirit brought self-control into your life, which means you can do it all because you got self-control. You can do it. You got to name it, claim it, and change it. And so we see here um, the, the source for dysfunction in our relationships is spiritual because sin distorts everything. We see that from the origin of relationships. And then we've seen a prescription, the antidote on how to have healthy, stronger, better relationships. If we just do this, our relationships will be so much better. And you have the power to do it because God's spirit is living inside of you. If you're a Christian, if you've made the decision to follow him and you've been immersed into him, but I want to show you the, the real key that unlocks all of this, that makes all of this work, and it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not as far as it depends on them, not because they deserve it, not because they're so awesome, not because they're going to be amazing in the future, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the key. If it's possible, because here's the thing, though. It's not always possible. That's why he writes that. If it's possible, but it's more possible than we think at times. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 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 Here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw a line in your mind right down the middle. You're going to separate the two columns you just created into peace and not peace. Peace and not peace. Now, I want you to think of everyone. And you're going to assign everyone you know, name by name, to a column. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, can you live at peace with this person? Or if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, because it does, you cannot live at peace with this person. Now, before you do that exercise, uh, I want to clarify a couple things. First, um, the word peace is the Greek word irene, which means uh, like a wholeness, like this <sighs> peace, right? You, you have this sense of wholeness with this person. Can you live at peace with them? Not, can you be friends with them? Not, can we go back to the same relationship that we had before? Not, um, can you approve and condone everything that they've done? But if it's possible, because sometimes it's a toxic relationship. Sometimes it's just not going to happen. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not as it depends on them, none of that, can you live at peace, at wholeness with this person? Now, before you start assigning names, I want to do two things. First, I want to remind you of, of a couple things. I want to remind you about you, okay? I want to remind you that you're not as perfect as you think you are, okay? Pastor, I'm perfect. No, you're not. Ask your wife, ask your mom, ask your friends. They'll tell you, you got problems, okay? <laughs> so I want to remind you of you. I just want to remind you, before you do this exercise, before you start assigning people, I want to remind you that you've needed grace before in your life. I want to remind you of all the times that you've needed to be forgiven. I want to remind you of all the times that you haven't gotten it right. I want to remind you that there are some people in your life who if they were sitting here right now doing this same exact exercise, they'd get stuck on your name and they'd have to figure out, can I live at peace with this person or not? Some people would really have to debate about what column they're going to put you in. I just want to remind you about you, okay? The second thing I want to do is I want to remind you about what God did. Because God did this exact same exercise. God drew a, a line down the middle of his mind creating two columns. One column was labeled peace. The other column was labeled not peace. And God had to determine what column he would put everyone in. And as God went through the list of names that were there, he came to your name. And God had to decide, what column am I going to put you in? Not peace or peace. 
The truth is this, each and every one of us is guilty of eating the fruit. We've all rebelled against God. We've all gone our own way. And because of that, the scriptures say that we are the enemies of God. We have waged a war on God, whether you meant to or not, because you've rebelled against him, because you've gone your own way. You have waged a war on God. You are not at peace with him, and that is not a war that you can win. But here's what the writer of Romans says about us as enemies of God and what God did in this exercise. He said, for if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? While we were still enemies, God got to your name and he said, it is possible. It is possible. God said, you're an enemy of mine, but I'm going to send my son because as far as it depends on me, and it all depends on me, there's no way you can do it on your own. I'm going to send my son to be a sacrifice in your place, to take your sin on himself so that when he dies, your sin will die too. And I look at you and I say, peace, peace, peace. And I've made peace. It is possible as far as it depends on me. Colossians says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand as far as it depended on him, and it all depended on him. He looked at you and said, you go in the peace column. Now, I want you to do this exercise. In light of all of this, reminding yourself of you, reminding yourself of what God has done for you, I want to ask you, what column does your mother-in-law go in? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, because it depends on you, what column does she go in? What column does that backstabber of her friend go in? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, because it all depends on you. What column do they go in? What column does the person that you poured yourself into and they responded with a lack of gratitude, what column do they go in? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, because it does depend on you, what column do they go in? What column does your father who is absent from your life go in? Your boss who takes you for granted? Your child who wrote you off? your sister who stole from you, the negative person in your workplace, what column, what column, what column, what column do you put them in? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you can have healthy, better, stronger relationships by living at peace with everyone. But it all depends on you. And we have to start with the source and the source 
is spiritual. Because everything, everything, everything is spiritual. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.